I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Jesse Cofield, holding it down for the DraftKings studio in Boston. No Mike Golik Sr. today. My father was on the call for Monday Night Football last night with Westwood One, which means we get Fox Sports football host and or excuse me, Fox Sports Radio host, Yahoo Sports football host, Jason Fitz, joining us here in place of my father. Jason, what's going on, man? I feel like the last time we had you around here, we couldn't share your title. We couldn't tell people what you were doing. And now you're doing so many great things. Uh, thank you. And you're burying the lead, though. Like, I, come on, Mike. You're a little impressed. You know, last night, if anybody follows me on social media, I was going after it during my beloved Raiders game. I am here. I am fully professional. I am awake and ready to go. A lot of Vegas bombs consumed last night. Didn't even know what a Vegas bomb was last night. And all of a sudden, bam, I'm in it. Let's go. Big oh one. Okay, so Tuesday what's a Vegas bomb? So I, I learned this. It is crown and uh, coconut rum and peach schnapps in a shot glass that you drop into a sugar-free Red Bull and you just you take it. The first several went down easy. The last few was just, at that point, it was point principle. They, they, that took a little bit of time. Took a little work and energy to get those down. I love that you're doing peach schnapps into sugar-free Red Bull. Okay. Right, thank you. Yeah. Yes, thank you. exactly. That's it's called moderation. The of the universe. Yeah, Namaste. The light in me. <laughs> respects the light in you we are brought to you by wrangler made for the ride of life save 15 percent in your first wrangler.com order with promo code gojo 15 got a banger today for you guys zach moss colts running back coming off an absolutely legendary game this weekend gonna join us in a little bit as well as eric burns former major leaguer get us right after some wild mlb action in the first couple of days I'm still reeling from the fact that, yeah, last night Fitz's beloved Raiders, for anyone that doesn't know, Jason Fitz, a lifelong diehard 
diehard Raiders fan. So much so that in his 40s, he found out what a Vegas bomb was for the first time. I'm amazed. I must be a real, like, I must be really scummy. The fact that I heard Vegas bomb and just immediately felt like college again. Jesse and I are around the same age. And Fitz, I just figured your life on tour at one point, for anyone who doesn't know, Jason Fitz was the longtime fiddle player in the band Perry. And Fitz, I thought for sure you would just be drowning in Vegas bombs during your time. There's this weird gap that happens, Mike, though, right? Like like cartoons. Like you and I share a love of cartoons, but we don't share a love of the same cartoons sometimes because you reach a spot where you're too old to really be, you know, engaged in the new anime cartoon that's out. You just miss that chapter of life. And then you wake up one day, you find out you're a little out of touch with what you kids like, right? And this is where the Vegas bomb has to fall. Like I I, I come from a Jaeger bomb world, like, and, and believe me, is a, a particular uh, connoisseur of Jaeger. I'm all in on Jaeger bombs. I like these things. But I yeah, I know I'm that guy. But I walked into what, the like, bar. What was wrong with us where for an era and a time, we just decided to do an anything bomb and you could just combine some sort of alcohol with some sort of Red Bull and that was going to be the thing that got you through the night as if that sort of upper and downer in the same breath was something that was at all good for my body. What a terrifying time. I mean, or a, a time of delight. Like you realize how to extend your party a little bit later. Let's go, you know? So... I, I, like, I look at it like when you're an old dude and you're like Jaeger bombs, you wake up one day and you're like, oh, wait, the kids have figured out new versions of the bombs. Let's see what they've got. And hence the Vegas. Really, it just it had the name Vegas in it. I'm watching the Vegas Raiders. I have to try it. That was really the logic. That's as much as, it, you know, twist my arm to put different new weird alcoholic drinks in my body. You know that. But at least at least it wasn't my usual Raiders ritual of a dozen donuts and, you know, a couple of two liter bottles of uh, diet root beer. Like I, I veered it up. So now the question is you win. Does that mean next weekend I have to slam a bunch yes. of Vegas bombs? Okay. It I mean, I was just going to ask that because while I am a huge fan of Notre Dame football, your Raiders get a 17-13 win. You are much more of the traditional fan when it comes to superstitions and all the things you're going to do around your team. And while it wasn't a perfect performance by any stretch of the imagination, it was an ugly but competitive game by both teams, you did win, as you pointed out. So it feels like unless you do your duty of rocking Vegas bombs next time the Raiders are playing, you're letting the team down. And I don't know how you could live with yourself with that. Two years ago, the Raiders went on a, a little mini winning streak at the beginning of the year, and I realized that I'd watched game one from Allegiant standing the whole time. So I decided that I wasn't going to sit during a Raiders game until they lost. That's, you know, that that's where things go. So, yeah, I, I think this is the, the commitment to excellence. Uh, just win, baby, that you need out of this. And by the way, you, I'm, I'm offended you would say it wasn't a pretty – your dad would stand up to you, good sir, and say great defense can still make for a beautiful win. Max Crosby and that defense played far better than anybody expected. Jordan Love, not that long ago, was out there and was the media darling for everybody. They picked Jordan Love off multiple times in that game, including a beautiful interception to seal the game at the end of the game from a short guy, no less. Like, I mean, I, I, look, I, I think there was a lot of pretty in this, particularly Max Crosby's play. So uh, you, good sir, are wrong. Any win is a pretty win, but a defensive win should also be considered beautiful. I mean, it fits right in with Josh McDaniel's line of decision making. I'm sorry, that decision at the two minute drill, fourth and two with two minutes left, the decision to not go for it in the plus 34, once again, cowardice. I cannot believe the fourth down decision making and the late game decision making from Josh McDaniels this year has only been covered up by Brandon Staley and everyone's public disdain for his fourth down decision making. But Fitz, there's no way, even as 
frugally conservative as you are, even as cheap and as risk averse as you are, part of you had to look at that and go the way the Raiders were running the ball that night. You got to put it in the hand of Josh Jacobs, try and get two yards and end that game on your own terms. When you're up four, like kicking the field goal, they're still going to go down and be trying to score a touchdown. It just means you're either tied and going to overtime or you got just enough to lose by one. Yeah, it, it said to me, I trust my kicker, which makes sense. Daniel Carlson's great. But it also said, I do not trust my offense or my defense. And that's a weird message to send because you're essentially saying we got to protect ourselves to get to overtime. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Offensively, though, remember earlier in the game, they had a fourth and one. And instead of running Josh Jacobs right up the gut or trying their version of the tush push, brotherly shove, whatever we want to call it, they ran a little strange sweep action uh, out to the outside that took Josh Jacobs giving it an incredible block to make it happen. Like, so there are moments for Josh Jacobs or for Josh McDaniels, I should say, where I'm sitting here saying, I don't understand the play calling and I don't understand the logic behind it. So I'm with you. I think it was the wrong call at the wrong time. And the analytics say that, and it shows no trust. I also don't know that I would have trusted Josh McDaniels to call the simple play and just get the first down. Like it, it's, it's a disaster right now when you think about how bad that offensive line has been at times, how bad the play calling has been at times, how inconsistent the offense has been. Keep in mind, Josh McDaniel is supposed to be an offensive guru. The Raiders still haven't hit 20 points this season in any game. Yeah, that's what I always like to remind people is anytime your coach starts to get on the hot seat, it's usually because whatever their background is, whichever side of the ball they came up on, were a coordinator on, cut their teeth on, is the one that's failing. See Brandon Staley, who we just mentioned with the Chargers, who's supposed to be the defensive head coach and has had a defense that has struggled mightily, especially to stop the run since he got to Los Angeles. And now it's the same thing for Josh McDaniels. Same story there. So Fitz, that's a good segue into what I wanted to ask you because the Raiders do get a win last night against the Green Bay team that people looked as a live dog in this year's NFC North where all right the Lions are the favorite but people still are kind of afraid to buy all the way in not me because Dan Campbell Hive stand up but some people are still afraid to buy in because they're the Lions and there's that fear that it's going to be the same old Lions that show up at some point and because Matt LaFleur is a good head coach because there's other things in place outside of the quarterback that we can talk about in Green Bay. You get a good win on Monday Night Football. You slow a roll that had been going on in that organization. But realistically, what does this do? Like, what was success in your mind before the season for this Las Vegas Raiders team? What did that look like? And does it change at all demonstrably based on the results you got last night? No, and by the way, I love the idea of you being a Dan Campbell stand with like a puff paint and making a little street team Dan Campbell shirt. Like I need this in my life. Uh, uh, but I'll say, my sister actually bought one of those, and she plans to give birth in it. A, a, a puff paint shirt, or Dan Campbell shirt, or puff a paint Dan sport. Campbell shirt, not a puff paint shirt, but it's a Dan Campbell shirt. It's Dan Campbell and then a giant lion on one side, and it's like one of those big graphic T-shirts. It's all black. It's kind of like what I'm wearing right now, but it's got Dan Campbell and a lion on it, and it's one of those oversized T-shirts. And she said that's going to be the shirt she wears when she goes to the hospital to give birth to her daughter. Yeah, that well, is. She's, you know, they're going to make her put on a hospital gown. As someone who's given birth, I'll just, t you know. I hate to temper her expectations, but yeah. I, I just, I, I fear for the doctor that tries to tell my sister on the verge of childbirth, who's going to be terrifying and everyone should stay out of her way if you see her, that she can't wear her Dan Campbell t-shirt that day. That's going to be a meltdown of epic proportions. I, uh, I, I, by the way, thanks for killing the dream on that. I mean, come on. Like we were, I, <laughs> I just gotta be, I'm just being realistic here. You know, like I said, as someone who has given birth to a child, I can tell that you is true, that yeah. they're going to be like, yeah, you kind of have to wear this hospital gown. <laughs> 
You mean Mike true. And I, I don't like how me and Fitz this, are reacting to this at all as if our opinion counts or our knowledge on this would be superior like, to Jesse who's actually done this. Maybe she could put it, the shirt on over the hospital gown, but they're going to be like, okay, like, <laughs> okay. Is he your husband? No, yeah. no, just blow the lines. <laughs> oh, God. They're going to be like, this is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty similar to what the shirt is right now. For anyone watching us on DraftKings YouTube, oh as you always can. Uh, yes, I think that's the exact shirt, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is, that, look, I, I love the idea of just going shopping for what you think the perfect shirt is to give birth in. Also, like, it does make sense. The more I think about it, the, the gown makes the gown. Yeah, it yeah. seems incredibly unsanitary to just give birth in whatever you wore coming off the street. There's a, a number of things that now pop in my head. So, yeah, point Jesse on that one there. Yep. The uh, the trump card of experience in this very important <laughs> life process definitely prevails. But uh, Fitz, uh, to your point about the Raiders and what this season was yeah. supposed to be and is. To answer your question, I, I thought the Raiders were going to be okay this year, not great, right? And when you're in the middle of a two-year rebuild, I think that's probably a pretty reasonable expectation. The, the thing we have to remember as a society is that wins and losses is all we care about. But sometimes you just got to ask yourself, is my favorite football team good? And the Raiders, mm -hmm. I think, are about to go on a run, right? Because they've got some easy games in front of them. They got the Bears coming up. They got the Patriots coming up. Like, they've got some winnable football games in front of them. When you look at it, they could win a few games in a row. Then they're going to play some good teams. What we have to remember is that this season, there are three or four teams in the NFL, in the AFC particular, that are very good. And there are three or four teams that are very bad. And the rest are just a bunch of mediocre teams sort of beating up on each other. I think the Raiders are probably a six-win team, a seven-win team if everything breaks right. None of that changed based on last night. The biggest concern that this team has is that the offensive line is not good. And I'm not just saying this because I'm handing out, hanging out with the former fat guy. But, like, at some point, the very simple concept that you win in the trenches – should be remembered that the Raiders are losing in the trenches on the offensive side. And other than Max Crosby, they're losing in the trenches on the defensive side. When they play good teams, that will rear its ugly head every single time. So I don't think the Raiders, I think the Raiders are about to win some games and people are going to start hyping them by midseason saying, hey, this team might be better than we thought. The answer is they are not. They got too many holes on both sides of the ball to be a, a true playoff competitive team means instead they'll be stuck in that middle ground of mediocrity and picking somewhere between eight and 16 in the draft next year just to drive me crazy. There we go. The circle of hell continues to ring around for Jason Fitz. Interesting point for last night's game that does get you guys a win in the good feelings is it might prompt a little bit of soul searching from the NFL. So many people in the competition committee are worried about banning the brotherly shove, which is dumb and hating material. Instead, they might have to have a conversation about what we saw at the end of the game last night where Marcus Peters actually saved the game with a horse collar penalty. Jesse, this is a moment that I feel like is going to have people trying to take a look because he was able to go stop Christian Watson, who had caught a long touchdown pass, looked like he was going to run in with a penalty, and they ultimately end up keeping them out of the end zone and holding them to a field goal. Yeah, Watson is literally on his way to the end zone. Peters grabs the back of the collar, flings him down, textbook, horse collar, but in that scenario, right, it meant that the Raiders were able to go on and get that win here. So here's what Josh McDaniels had to say after the game about the penalty. 
Yeah, talk to Marcus. It's the right penalty. You know, um, you know that that's a really smart play in a critical time in the game. And you know, if it's the first quarter in the middle of the field, you don't want a horse collar. You know, but if you're saving a touchdown on a long play like that, you at least give yourself a chance to play a few more downs, which he did. Um, and then the defense really rose up and, and played well. I thought they played well all night for the most part. So, Gojo, the rule book does contain language that allows a touchdown to be awarded in the event of a palpably unfair act. So I guess the question is, does this qualify? I mean, I feel like based on that language, it probably should, given the emphasis on horse collar tackling as a rule put in because of player safety. The whole reason, the whole idea behind that was much like we saw with targeting, where you had this instance of players suffering injuries because they were being dragged down from behind by that specific area. And so I don't know how much more letter of the law you would need there now. This is one of those spots fits in theory. It sounds good. It's like the NBA's clear path foul, but for referees in real time to see this and officiate this properly, that's something that I think we should all be rightly concerned about. And that's why I don't expect that to necessarily be something that we see called a lot going forward for the benefit of the offense there. Even if like letter of the law and spiritually and what you're trying to do as a league and disincentivizing this behavior that could be dangerous to the person being tackled, it probably should be because what ultimate deterrent would there be? In this spot, it's absolutely the right call. Like There's certain plays where pass interference is a crime of necessity. you got to do it to make sure you're not going to give up the even bigger play. And here, Josh McDaniels is absolutely right. Marcus Peters saved the game by doing this, by taking that flag in the opportune spot. It was a really smart decision, but it's one where if you're the NFL and you're going to talk about all this player safety stuff as a concern to the brotherly shove there's your actual player safety issue right there i didn't even know that the clear path rule existed until we were just informed so uh, shows my ignorance on that but as i was sitting there uh, watching the game last night uh, somebody next to me screamed what a stupid penalty and i immediately looked over at him and said no it's a plus four penalty because now you gave yourself a chance to save mm -hmm. four points and that's that's a smart move by a veteran player that's beat i think the only thing that you would say to the, the officiating moment of it is you don't know if he had dove at his feet, would he have been able to trip him up? So maybe that's part of the, the portion of it. But it felt like the right move for Marcus Peters there, who was, he was burned. He had no choice. The league should look at that, though, and I'm sure the fine will be thunder of the gods worthy, like in a world worth $7,000 for socks. Like, what is it worth when you're, when you're turning around doing that? Smart play by event player, and yeah, definitely something the league should look at because it, it changed the outcome of the game. If if that's a touchdown instead of a field goal, we're talking about the rest of that game much differently. Yeah, it was the right play, but it goes directly against one of your points of emphasis for player safety. So we'll see how they respond to that. Fitz, I want to play this sound for you. This was Jair Alexander, cornerback for the uh, Green Bay Packers after the game, who had this to say about what he feels like the defense's role has to be going forward with this team. Yeah, I think at this point it's pretty obvious that the defense has to not give up any touchdowns, you know. I think that's a part of being self-critical of our defense because, you know, the offense is pretty young, you know, and they're still figuring out their mojo. So, you know, it, the defense, we got to, you know, we got to be the ones to score and stop them from scoring. This is one I encourage people to listen to the audio because it sounds a lot more damning when it's just written out in text of this admission fits that he looks over and sees an incomplete product in their offense right now. That lack of confidence that they appear to have in that Jordan Love-led group. How concerning is that quote to you? 
Uh, it's concerning because one of my favorite groups, uh, games to play, whether it's with relationships with friends or relationships in general, is what I like to call shoes on the other foot. So we're going to put the exact same quote in, into somebody else's situation. If the Jets, if that had been Sauce Gardner saying the same exact thing about the Jets, how apoplectic would the world be going today, mm. right? Like anytime one side of the ball speaks to the other side of the ball in today's world, I think you have to be particularly careful. And I'm not saying that's right. Like that's just the way it's going to go. We are going to overanalyze that quote. Uh, there's got to be some grace and forgiveness to the fact that Jordan Love is still growing to whoever he's going to be as a quarterback. And I think there is grace and forgiveness to the fact that, hey, this is now Matt LaFleur's offense, and it's going to look a lot different than it did under Aaron Rodgers. Like, go back to who Matt LaFleur was as an offensive coordinator with the Titans, and you can even get an idea of the type of offense he's going to run. Also, they were without Aaron Jones, which I think is a substantial part of why the offense looked incomplete last night. They still ran the ball well without their star running back, right? So you can add all of the bricks up to why the offense didn't look great. But when the defense comes out and says, you know, I think it's pretty obvious we can't even give up a touchdown, like, I, that, you just got to be careful with that statement because you are in that, you know, you raise me up Josh Groban style right now when it comes to how you talk about your young quarterback and your young offense and what you expect from them. Yeah, I think, and, and the worry is always what it's going to do when it goes. Because I think in its intent, he was basically offering them some grace, saying, hey, listen, I understand these guys are still growing into what they're going to be, and so we've got to be better as a defense, but it doesn't necessarily sound that way off first rip there. And especially at a time where so far on the season, Jordan Love, you mentioned the growing pains. Only one game where he has completed over 60% of his passes. Only one game with over 250 passing yards. In the last three games, he's thrown two touchdowns against six interceptions, including multiple last night. So it's not been an easy stretch. He's not been a great deep ball thrower in this time, although Christian Watson was injured for a lot of the beginning portion of the season. There's a lot of reasons, including the volatility up front with injuries on the offensive line, that aren't going to play well long term. But speaking of playing well long-term, a win in Red River goes a long way. Let's see how the Sooners are faring in college football next. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Jason Fitz, Jesse Cofield. And guys, before we get to college football... Jesse did us all the kindness this morning of being a good teammate and reminding us where we're at right now. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ out there, people listening right now live on the DraftKings YouTube channel, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV Plus, any of the other places that we're on now. Welcome. Hi, new friends who are checking us out maybe for the first time. Let us know. The only show that's going to remind you, maybe buy a Powerball ticket today. 
Yeah. $1.55 billion. It is the second largest Powerball that we've, that we've had. So buy a ticket, and if you win, perhaps you feel indebted to your friends who reminded you to buy a ticket. And, you know, you right. can reach out. We'll take a little finder's fee. Right. You know what? Maybe you come on, you sponsor the show, and it's just a big old picture of you for a bunch of money that's just for you now. It's like a Ricky right Bobby there. scene where who's he putting on the car? Oh, I'm, I'm going for me. And he's like, who the hell's me? And no, me is you. That can be you when you win Powerball, or it can be me who I promise you'll never see again if I win Powerball. I remember, guys, I was in the offseason program with the Saints in 2014 and there was a big powerball number and every wednesday i would go and buy powerball tickets on the way to the offseason program and i would walk into the locker room and i would go and sit down with the rest of the o-line i said take a good look boys this is the last day you're ever gonna see me because the minute i get this winning number i'm driving right to the louisiana state lottery office and then i am disappearing off the face of the earth yeah. uh mike this is all your fault now but i have to tell you two things one if I win the Powerball, I, I, I don't usually play, but I'm going to run and not walk. I'm going to run with my tiny steps, and I'm going to figure out how to buy as many tickets as possible. If I win, A, the opposite. You're going to hear from me every day. And the answer to everybody that asks me for money is, is squarely no, right? But you're going you're gonna to hear from me every day. And then uh, the most important thing is you've just now planted the seed. I'm going to buy this show. And when I buy this show as the title sponsor, you're going to put my fat head right behind you and you're going to have to, it's going to be presented by my God. I love Jason Fitz. And that's going to be the name of the company. My God, I love Jason Fitz. And you're going to have to say that at least six times an hour, every hour, uh, because I'm going, I'm going to buy this show. So I just, just want you to know that, that I'm not going to stop working. I'm not going to stop hanging out on Fox sports and Yahoo sports. Cause I love what I do. I'm going to be dirty rich doing it. And I'm going to own your show. But but then everybody's gonna know that you won. See, my the key to winning Powerball is you have a lawyer collect under a, a different an LLC, whatever. You don't want people to know that you won Powerball. No, I don't care 100%. if people know. Like that's why I have a, a flat out say no to everything rule. Like what I will do is I will take part of it and I will set up a foundation. And when people inevitably come in and because everybody does in these situations and say I need help with this and this and this, I will say reach out to my foundation who I will I will hire somebody uh, graceful and and kind to say no to everybody and then they can handle the foundation portion of it and and decide you know who not to say no to and then I will just live like a very loud eccentric rich person for the rest of my life like I will turn I I will be that billionaire that's on every sideline all the time and and like I might get shirts made that said hi my name's Fitz. I'm worth $1.3 billion, whatever it is. You know, I, I just, just so we're clear, like I, I want the world to know that I won the Powerball. I want Mike to have to say my name six hours, six times an hour. And uh, I want to say no to everybody. I'm looking forward to Jason Fitz being robbed on every street that he walks on wearing <laughs> that dumbass shirt. <laughs> but you know as well as anybody, Mike, they'll have to kidnap me because I'm still cheap and I'm not going to actually carry cash anywhere. Duh. Yeah, Fitz wouldn't pay his own ransom if he was kidnapped in this situation. So uh, <laughs> we're going to all make great rich people. I know that. Fitz, um, college football this weekend had a lot of really interesting results. I'm curious for you. Which one stood out the most for you this weekend of what we saw and who ended up either winning or losing? I'll give you free reign on this. Uh, so, look, I, I, this might sound cliche to some people, but I think I've been waiting all year for Georgia to put four mm -hmm. quarters together. And the fact that Georgia, a week after Auburn ran the ball pretty well against them, and then coming in a week after we saw who I've now nicknamed Sweet Baby Ray Davis go off for Kentucky – I really thought, hey, this there might be a method to the madness. Maybe this is the moment that Kentucky shows they can run the ball. Maybe this is another moment of weakness for Georgia. Instead, it's almost like Georgia just finally was like, okay, 
We'll we'll give a damn for four quarters and show what we're capable of. And it's the number one moment we've waited for from the number one team in the country. So I think Georgia playing to the level that they played for four quarters against the Kentucky team that's actually pretty good showed something to me for the first time this year. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was down in Athens on the call for this game for Learfield, and it was step startling to see in person how big, strong, athletic, and then competent this team looked, right? Because they had had slow starts in SEC play. They had been behind in the you know second half of the game, or they'd been behind going into the fourth quarter against Auburn. They'd been behind at halftime against South Carolina. They'd been playing with their food a lot. And then this game, they came out and they ate, and they ate early and often. It, it seems like now there's a decided step between Georgia, Michigan, and then everybody else, I think, from three and four on. Like the gap between Michigan and Georgia to me is smaller than the gap between Michigan and then whoever you want to put in the three and four spot after that. Because Fitz looking around at the rest of college football, like I think in that conversation now, as we've had this round robin of teams trying to play for that back half of the playoff spots here, Oklahoma, the Red River rivalry, that was probably the other biggest admission of the weekend because it was really the first team they played where we looked up and said, okay, now we can measure the value off this. And Texas spotted them some points early on. Man, Quinn Ewers was careless with the football. But I think most people came away from that game with, Oklahoma is now playing a physical brand of football on both lines of scrimmage under Brent Venables. And Dylan Gabriel, who was absent in this game last year, came back and was the difference, especially with his legs. It wasn't in a particularly explosive ground game outside of what he was able to do both as a scrambler and with some design runs in a way that has them, I'd say, at worst right now, probably the fourth best team in the country based off what we thought of and quite honestly still think of Texas in a game that we're going to get a rematch of in the Big 12 championship game this year. And, and frankly, that's why I was surprised Texas fell so far in the AP poll from this loss. Like, this is the Red River rivalry, right? And, uh, you know, I was actually sitting with a bunch of buddies that were watching it, as we, and, and half the room that was watching it was chanting Burt's name as Burt Auburn kicked what looked like was the winning field goal. The only thing better than Burt's hair was that kick, right? Like, so all of a sudden you think Texas has it. It's amazing what one minute in a college football game does for the entire playoff picture. Because with a minute and a half to go, this thing is like, oh, look, the, Texas is going to win it. And to your point, they didn't play particularly well at times and still look like they had this game won. I thought this was going to be a statement moment for Texas, who would then have the resume to really say, hey, we deserve to be a better consideration for even number one, considering who we played. Maybe they're not better than Georgia by the eye test, but who they played should matter at some point. And that all fell apart. So I'm trying to figure out what that rematch looks like because, frankly, when they get that game and it's not the Red River rivalry and you don't have that home advantage, you don't have all of that with it. Like, I think Texas is not out of this conversation by any stretch of the imagination as well as they played. But to your point also, Oklahoma did show this level of physical football that you anticipated when we talked over the summer. You kept saying, hey, don't sleep on Oklahoma. Like, Oklahoma is going to be a physical football team this year. They showed that. I, it's, a, it's a weird year because we're going to see somebody slip up. And right now, for all the years you and I have been covering college football, I don't remember the last time we ever got this far into the season and genuinely had no idea who the four playoff teams are. Yeah, and we're still, I think, because we're getting into conference play, sorting through exactly what we believe every team's capable on the top end because you look at so many of the top teams they've been great great at blowing out inferior competition you had a couple of the out of conference matchups that felt like they gave us a measuring stick right Florida State especially out of conference early but then all right you've got LSU who's kind of slipped up since and the defense hasn't looked quite like what we expected they're giving up a bunch of points so we're going what does that win 
actually cost you or actually count for on the top end of this if you're a florida state team that then followed that up laying the egg against bc could have and should have lost against clemson but still going out here and leading the acc all these things now are going to get answered especially in the pac-12 i'm so excited i'm going to be on the call for washington and oregon this weekend that is going to be one of those games that start to stretch where fits we at least get answers with all this stuff right in the acc you're going to get coming up a bunch of these teams playing clemson and north carolina florida like all these teams going out and actually having to do it against each other to me is going to make this a lot easier for us and and you're on the call for the game this weekend that is right now at this point the most substantial game we've seen this season right like i i believe that washington oregon is substantial for a couple of reasons, not only because both teams are great, but because both teams are far more balanced than people give Pac-12 football for being, right? Like, both teams can play really solid physical defense. We all know that. Oregon especially is is just like, they they absolutely, they can hit you from anywhere. It's really interesting to see how both of these teams are going to match up against the respective quarterbacks they're facing. Like, Michael Penix Jr. is not the guy he was at Indiana. He's a much different quarterback now at Washington. And I think Washington deserves a lot more conversation in the national championship conversation right now. Whoever wins this game, get such a huge statement resume win, this becomes the thing that can pole vault either of those teams into the top four. This is absolutely a prove-it game that the playoff committee is going to use the rest of the year. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Jason Fitz, and Jesse Cofield. And we're excited now to be joined fresh off a big-time performance. I'd say one of the marquee performances of the weekend as the Colts beat the Titans this weekend. Colts running back Zach Moss, kind enough to join us now after 165 yards and two touchdowns. Zach, how are we feeling this morning, man? I'm, I'm feeling well, man. I'm feeling well. appreciate you guys having me on. No, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us here. So take us through that, man. You know, the, the focus coming into so much of last week for your guys' team in the running back room was around Jonathan Taylor. He's returning to play. He's getting ready to come back. The contract gets announced on Saturday. And yet we get to Sunday, and all of a sudden, your number gets called, and you answer in a big way. What was that performance like for you? Yeah, I think it was a, you know, it was a big performance for myself personally. Um, you know, obviously the offensive line did a great job at, you know, allowing me to, you know, go out there and, and have a chance to even do that. Um, and, you know, we knew we needed to win that game. It was a big game for us, a uh, divisional game. Um, we hadn't beat those guys in a while um, and we hadn't won a home game in a while. So it was like a perfect storm of all these different things combined. 
Um, and everybody just had the, you know, the same mindset of, you know, going out there, being physical, being dominant. Um, and, you know, he was able to walk away uh, with a win. Given all the change around the organization this offseason, Zach, I think it's fair to say people didn't have the highest expectations for the Colts this year. You guys sit at three and two and, frankly, one overtime game against the Rams from being four and one. What did we all miss about Indy coming into this season? Uh, I mean, even when I got here last year, when I, you know, got traded from Buffalo uh, over here, um, you know, when I came in in the middle of the year, I could see the talent that was on the team right on the offensive side of the ball and especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, you know, now with Coach Shane and, you know, his staff and all the guys he's brought in um, and all the new players we've got and all that type of stuff, you know, everybody's just bought into that same uh, same process, same belief. Um, and Coach Shane has done a great job of just, you know, getting all of us to believe in, you know, his message and everything like that. And um, when you are able to do that, I think as a coach, especially – when you have a younger team, we're one of the younger teams in the league, right? Uh, when, you, when you're able to do that um, and we have the talent we have, we can do a lot of special things. So, you know, we definitely always believed inside our locker room. Um, and that's all that was, uh, you know, mattered to us at that moment. You mentioned Shane Steichen, who comes over from Philadelphia after their Super Bowl appearance last year. How did he get you guys to buy in so early? What was his message when he walked into the building? We didn't hear as much on the outside as we did from his counterpart in Jonathan Gannon, who had the pew, 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 and asking his players if they took the bus to training camp or whatever. What was Shane like on the way in for you guys as the head coach here? It was, it was, it was, to me, it was more of like in a militant style, right? It was a no, no BS. Um, you know, it wasn't going to be any, I'm trying to get to know you over and over and over, right? To, you know, win over, win you over and all that type of stuff. It was, let's get to work, right? Obviously, he knew what team we had and the the pieces we had and what we can do in our division. Um, so, you know, he was ready to get to work. And that was the same mindset for a lot of guys, right? When, you, when you're when losing, um, obviously, when I was in Buffalo, we didn't do, I wasn't doing too much uh, losing with uh, over there, but, you know, for a lot of these guys, when we were doing a lot of that losing in the end of the year, um, that wasn't sitting well with them. They weren't accustomed to that. Um, they're talking about a team who've been to the playoffs um, and all that type of stuff. So um, it was just a perfect storm. Like I said, it was he came in with the right mindset, and these guys already had the mindset that we wanted to go to work. Uh, right away, we knew what we could do. And right now we're in the middle of that. It was, it's, a long, it's a long road uh, still ahead. We only played uh, five games, so. It's still a lot of work to do, but, you know, I think we're doing some good things and uh, hopefully we continue to do that. I mean, it's funny to me because we spend so much time talking about Anthony Richardson because what he means to the NFL, young quarterbacks, that's what we do, right? But I want to give some flowers here to Gardner Minshew, who has stepped in repeatedly for you guys, and you couldn't have two quarterbacks physically that look much different. Like, Anthony Richardson, huge, Gardner not. Like, for the offense, how have you guys been able to adjust to whichever quarterback is, is behind center? Yeah, I think – you know, even going back to OTAs, um, when Gardner and AR were, you know, splitting time, you know, guys got a feel for what, you know, Gardner liked to do, what style he was going to try to, you know, uh, come in there with. And then obviously the same thing with AR. Um, and I think, you know, pushing that to now, you know, Gardner's a pro. I've said it multiple times now. He's a pro. He's a consummate pro. You know, he's, he prepares like a starter. He prepares like he's going to be the guy that's going to be in there from quarter one to you know to the clock runs zeros um so you know that's a testament to how hard he works how he prepares and all that type of stuff and you know we believe in him we see the work that he does we see the preparation that goes into it every week um so it's not like 
we're like, oh man, garden is in and we don't believe, right? It's okay, garden is in. Let's keep cooking. Let's keep doing what we need to do um, to go out here and get a win because we know he's capable of helping us, um, you know, secure W's. For Anthony Richardson, what stood out to him early on here in his NFL career comes in with a lot of promise and ability, obviously been dealing with some injuries early on in this season. But what have you liked about your young quarterback? It's poise. I think it's poise. I mean, I think we were down the 23-0 to the Rams, something like that. We were down a lot of points to the Rams at home, and he was able to help us. He literally engineered a 23-point comeback, right, that we ended up losing in overtime. Um, we didn't get a shot in overtime. But, you know, to see that as a rookie quarterback, to do that and not be wavered, not really be phased by anything, right, um, and continue to keep going out there fighting, uh, you know, we love to see that um, in him. I and mean, we already knew what we was getting in him. I mean, the poise, he only being 21 years old, right, he has so much growth still to go. Um, he hasn't really even played a lot of football um, when you, you know, accumulate his college days and all that type of stuff as well. So um, he's definitely – you know, trending in the right direction. I'm happy I'm able to see a guy like him um, continue to get better every day. Um, and, you know, it's, it's definitely a blessing to, you know, be able to line up uh, aside him. An incredible backfield mate there, as is your other running backfield mate in Jonathan Taylor, who gets a payday this weekend, has gone through this offseason saga. I'm curious for you, Zach, as his teammate, as a guy in that running back room and a running back in general in the league, what was your feeling? What was your reaction to seeing everything he went through finally end with him getting a payday and a long-term contract with this team? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you think about it as just being a running back in the league, right, um, it sucked to see him have to go through all the different loopholes that he had to go through to get a comp this contract, um, knowing that he's well-deserved of it. And I don't think anyone didn't think he was well-deserved of it. Um, that's just how sometimes the business shakes out, right? You got to be able to separate your feelings from certain things and of that nature and continue to do what you need to do. But, um, you know, I was super happy for him um, when he got it because, you know, everyone knows what type of talent this dude is, man. I mean, like I remember, you know, in college, you know, turning on the TV and like watching, you know, him go crazy over there in Wisconsin. Um, and to see him be able to do the same thing in Buff, uh, in Indy, even times when we played him in Buffalo, um, you know, so I was just super happy for him. He, you know, he's, he deserved it, you know, many times over. Um, and, you know, besides being a great football player, his, he has a high character, you know, people love him. I don't, I've never heard anyone say anything negative about him. Um, and I don't definitely haven't even seen anything negative about the guys as I've been his teammate. Um, so, you know, it was, it was big for our room, it was big for our team, it was big for the community, and, you know, everybody's excited to have him back. Did you tell him to slide a little bit of that money your way, considering <laughs> you went out there and balled out this weekend and kind of carried the running back room? I know he's coming back from injury, but, like, you say, hey, like, hey, maybe you slide a little bit of that my way after this, right? <laughs> No, I just being a good teammate. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. The consummate pro himself, Zach Moss, coming off a huge weekend for the Indianapolis Colts. Zach, we appreciate you giving us some time this morning, man. Best of luck. Stay healthy. And uh, hopefully you guys can continue what's been a, a really fun run to start this season. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on. Take care. Thanks, Zach. No problem. Hey, man, that's it. It's a... Like you said, overall, obviously, there's it's twofold, right, for him, Jason. It's his teammate. It's a guy that he sees every day up close and personal and has worked with going back to last year that went through that saga. But as a running back, I'm sure there's kind of a sigh of relief to see 
all right, it's not so far gone to where if I perform at a high level, I'm not going to see that benefit from that financially for putting my body on the line. Yeah, and he's also a running back, by the way, that's playing really well. So Zach Moss is, is at the same time using his reps to play himself into that payday for him. Maybe not that payday, but a massive payday somewhere. Yeah, remember, he was a guy that was injured in the preseason, broken arm or whatever he had going into the year to now come back and be doing this is pretty damn impressive, uh, to say the least, for Zach Moss. Former Utah running back, by the way, too. It's like totally out of the equation there. Coming up next, though, we'll try and figure out more of the math problems around college football here on Gojo and Golik. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DKHorse.com. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. I'm Jesse Cofield. Let's take a look at the AP Top 25. There's been some notable movement after the weekend in college football. Uh, one team that didn't move, Georgia. They're staying at number one. So the Bulldogs got 50 first place votes. They only got 35 last week. So Georgia, the consummate number one here. Number three, Ohio State. Number four, Florida State. Each moving up a spot. Each received a first place vote. Oklahoma jumped seven spots to number five after beating Texas on Saturday in the Red River rivalry. And Louisville jumped 11 spots to number 14 after taking down Notre Dame. Sorry, Gojo. Yeah. Sorry. No, listen, deservedly so. Uh, what Jeff Brom has done going back, the prodigal son returning home after going and doing what he needed to do at Purdue and a couple other spots. Nothing short of exemplary. Build the statue now for that guy, uh, one of Louisville's beloved sons, that comes back and uh, makes my life a living hell in there. Uh, Fitz, I'm curious for you, 30,000-foot view of this, because the Notre Dame situation, while I always do my best to put on the analyst hat, there's going to be a part of me that is obviously tied to that school in a way that maybe – puts the blinders on. So from the national perspective for you, as you look at Notre Dame in this juncture, what is your read on this team? What is your read on the current state of this program? They're okay. And like the, the hard part about that is you and I talked early in the season. And just as you said earlier, you might be the president of the, the Dan Campbell street team. I might've said that for you. Uh, I felt like that was me for Sam Hartman this mm. year coming into it. And like I, I did everything short of getting a tramp stamp that said Hartman on the back of it. Like I feel like for me, I expected this big revolutionary Sam Hartman moment. And we've seen it at times. We've seen moments of it, but it feels like everything I thought Notre Dame would do easily, which is spread the ball around. And because you had to be able to defend him spreading the ball around, it would create better running opportunities and they'd be able to really come in and just ram the ball down your throats. I, I had national championship type aspirations for Notre Dame from the outside looking in. The Notre Dame loss to Ohio State 
I really, in a lot of ways, forgave. Like that, that moment's going to happen sure. in college football. For me, struggling the way they did against a, a good Duke team, but not a great Duke team the week after, I was almost like, all right, well, you got to shake that off. Like you're still coming off the emotional. The, when you see it three times in a row, though, now you're looking at it and saying, okay, this is definition of insanity. I, I, I was surprised that Louisville did what they did to Notre Dame. I'm surprised that Louisville got as much of a push in the AP top 25 because I think is that that's as much a statement that maybe Notre Dame is just not as good as we thought Notre Dame was two weeks ago as, as anything. Louisville gets a very impressive win, but at the same time, I'm just looking at Notre Dame saying, man, you, you are exactly what we didn't think Notre Dame would be this year, which is a two or three loss team that just sort of sits in the middle of the pack and is pretty good, but not great. And that's not, that's not aligning with what the expectations were for the Irish this year. Well, you're right, because the Sam Hartman portion of those expectations is what makes it feel incredibly dire because you only got him for one year. It's a one-year loaner of one of the better veteran quarterbacks college football seen in quite some time. And I, I think you actually brought up an interesting point, and this is something I hadn't thought about in this way of, I think, where Notre Dame's identity is right now, especially on offense. Defensively, it's pretty consistent with whom they've been. That's a really good defensive unit that you just cannot have on the field as long as they were on the field against Louisville with the turnovers on offense and with the difficulty that unit had converting in short yardage situations. But offensively, in their identity is... This was a team, to your point, some people might have thought, oh, could pass to set up the run better now with Sam Hartman. But with Notre Dame's receiver core being banged up and young and not having a guy that's top end speed wise going to open things up, you've still got to be a run to set up the past outfit. And I think the last couple of games, Duke was a tougher test because up front they sort of met Notre Dame where they were and really gave them some trouble there. But going back to against Ohio State, going back to against NC State, Notre Dame had still been a, hey, we're going to run to set up the pass. We're going to make sure we're pounding them inside to get guys open. And I think, Fitz, if there's going to be a fix, one, it's going to come this week because that USC defense isn't stopping anybody. Schematically, personnel-wise there, if Notre Dame's offense cannot get Get right this week against this USC defense, then there are much more serious problems than I see right now for a Notre Dame offense that to me, if they can just flip that switch back to the team they were a few weeks ago, it was like I said, someone bumps their head in a movie and gets amnesia for a little bit. Notre Dame's got to remember, oh, we can line up with multiple running backs, hand it off downhill to Audrey Estime and beat people up in the middle of this and then use that to try and make life a little bit easier for everyone in the receiving core. All of a sudden, I don't think that this thing spirals the way it could but it all comes down to this week. This has to be the ultimate get-right game, especially for that offense, who's got to do what they can to keep the timing strange for Caleb Williams and that USC offense on the other side that's just waiting to make your life a living hell no matter how they looked against Arizona. I'm going to give you a a big statement here, but I think we get it this weekend. If USC goes out and just absolutely beats the snot out of Notre Dame, like talking double-digit win, 10-point win or more, right? Then it, it is living, breathing proof the defense no longer wins championships in college mm. football. Because that, the greatest question that you have right now is, no matter how good you are defensively in today's world, can you score 30-plus points? Because it feels like if you can't consistently find a way to get to 30-plus points, you ain't going to win a lot in college football. And USC's been, you know, hey, we're just going to play video game football. We won't worry about it. It's like Big 12 defense from 10 years ago. We just, we're not even trying, right? But they still win football games. Every time they win, they fall in the rankings and people just can't accept the fact that a defense that looks this bad can continue to win games. 
But if they do that very thing against Notre Dame, then what you're really proving to the world is you can have a great defense, but if your offense can't come up with three or four big touchdowns a game, you can't be competitive at a national championship level, which changes the way everybody has to think about what they're doing stylistically moving forward. Especially, it's a great point for USC as we talk about some of the existential dread on Notre Dame side of things. For USC, you've got a guy who has a legitimate chance to be the first two-time Heisman Trophy winner we've seen since Archie Griffin, and yet your defense that you went out and put guys from the transfer portal into all offseason does not appear to be improved at all. Now, all of a sudden, it does ask questions about the blueprint going forward because if that quarterback can't be enough offensively to lift you over the top, I get Lincoln just rolls through with these guys like it's nothing. He's got Heisman Trophy winners in his resume he's going to have more good quarterbacks there but for that formula to work long term with Alex Grinch as your defensive coordinator going to be some real questions this year in what is a crowded and competitive Pac-12 field but overall one of the more crowded college football playoff fields we've seen in some time I agree completely Fitz you talked about the 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 hangover from certain events I'm curious what you feel like the hangover is going to be for Miami after this Mario Cristobal decision against Georgia Tech I know you were doing uh, uh having a conversation about some of the all-time coaching blunders looking into some of the biggest we've seen where did that fall for you Mario Cristobal refusing to kneel it out with 33 seconds left and the win in hand against Georgia Tech that that's number one and not and look when you start looking at the game, it's not as impactful as making deciding to throw the ball on the goal line in the Super Bowl. I get that. It's not as impactful as the kick six uh, because of a rivalry. But when you look at what's in front of you and just the very basic, all we have to do is take a knee. Like there, there are a couple of things that immediately pop to me, and you know this from being in locker rooms better than I ever will. But when you've got a, a now very famous GIF of a player looking over saying, "What the f are we doing?" Right, like that everybody's watching. That to me speaks to you lose your locker room in moments like that. Like everybody looking around is now looking squarely at the coach and saying, that's on you. And he can own it all day long. He can stand up at the podium and say, I got to do better. That doesn't explain why you didn't realize that when you made the call. Like it's a very victory formation exists for a reason to have your coach not use victory formation. Now everybody's standing on the sidelines that, that wears the jersey is saying, the hell are we doing, right? Like everybody that's sitting there as part of the program is saying, what is this guy thinking? And that's the sort of seed that gets planted. That just It takes away a whole season of good feels for Miami right now. Like they were a good feel story and a good football team. And now that now you just sit there and this is good. This just sits. It sits. And I don't think, I think this lingers for them. Yeah, this is going to have a bad taste in people's mouth for a long time because I literally said last week Miami is undefeated and no one seems to be talking about them. They had a win over, at that time, a ranked Texas A&M team coming in as a non-conference resume point and no one was talking about them. And now everyone's talking about them for all the wrong reasons and it ratchets up the intensity around a team that's getting ready to go through the toughest stretch of its season with North Carolina and Clemson in back-to-back weeks. Fits to the point about losing the lot. I think that's only true if you don't get up and totally and completely own this. Yes, it's a blunder, but everyone who's a part of a team is going to make a serious blunder at some point. It might not get this level of national scrutiny, but you're going to step in it. It's, hey, did he stand in front of that locker room in that team meeting room the next day and say, guys, that's 100% on me. You did enough in that game to go out and get the win, and I didn't hold up my end of the bargain. That goes a long way. We'll remain to be seen what that looks like for them. But coming up next, it's time for a wilder Wednesday here on Go. Joe and Gold. Charlotte Wilder joins.